Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Curiosity.com. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn about how doctors came up with a drug to treat one specific patient with a rare genetic disease and how you really can tell if someone's sick just by looking at them. Let's satisfy some curiosity. Doctors recently developed a customized drug to save a little girl's life. And the story of how it happened could offer a potential template for the rapid development of patient-customized treatments. Joining us today to share this story is Lauren Black, Distinguished Scientist in the Scientific Advisory Services at Charles River Labs. And the story starts in December 2016, when a couple in Colorado learned that their six-year-old daughter Mila had a rare neurodegenerative disorder called Batten disease. It's important to understand what this disease is and what it entails. So here's Lauren Black with the background. The gist of it is that she has Batten's disease seven. There's at least 14 or 15 different versions of this. And there's all these different proteins that are all involved in clearing out the lysosomal storage, if you will, the the garbage that needs to be taken out of the cells. And this is most critically important in our nerve cells. So what happens is that the garbage piles up and interferes with normal cell processes, and then the cells end up dying. They get so badly affected. And so sad to say, people that have this particular kind of Batten's disease, um, it is very unfortunately lethal sometime by teenage years. The, The cerebellar toxicities become very, very bad. Retinal toxicity, um, Mila is already blind. And they're irreversible. So there is no current treatment for this kind of disease whatsoever. They are literally missing a protein that's absolutely critical for the brain cells. Mila had been showing symptoms since she was about three years old, but it took doctors a while to diagnose since it's an ultra rare disease. In the US, it affects an estimated two to four births out of every 100,000. Here's Lauren with details on Mila's diagnosis and treatment. She got her first um, really deep dig at the Colorado Children's Hospital. And they finally went into sequencing her DNA and they found that she had a mutation in one of her alleles that can cause Batten's disease. And so it was an unusual form of Batten's that only a handful of patients have only ever been published on. And it didn't really explain why it was that she was having the difficulties that she was there had to be a second allele that was also mutated. And they couldn't identify it with the technology that they had at that hospital. And so what ended up happening is a friend of the family ended up going out on social media and reached Tim Yu's wife. (laughs) Tim Yu being a physician and a neurologist and a geneticist at Boston Children's Hospital and his wife being an internist, she picked up on a social media site that they needed extra special care on the whole genome sequencing for this child. And she basically turns to her husband and said, hey, Tim, can you help? And so that's what led to this whole project. Tim had a team of very fine molecular biologists. He had knowledge about the new drug Spinraza. And once they found that her sort of sleeping second allele in the difficult part of the data they were able to see that that was what we use in the drug development um, world, that that it was druggable. There was a way to use the same mechanism that Spinraza uses, an approved drug for SNA, 
just make a separate drug that used the exact same pharmacologic tricks on Mila's genome. So you're able to take one precedent and then springboard off of it, seeing the very specific gene mutation that Mila had in her second allele, not her first one, and then say, oh, we can modify that to give her back the protein that she's missing. And that should fix her nerve cells. Well, lo and behold, they were able to take her fibroblasts, her, some of her own skin cells, and put them into a culture dish. And there's a very characteristic overloading of built-up lysosomal storage material that's characteristic of Batten's disease. It looked like, it sort of looks like the way when you look down at a roll of garbage bags and it's how it's all coiled up and you can see it from the top, it has like a fingerprint whirl. That same pattern appears as layers and layers of built up garbage in the cells. And they were able to see that clear up when they put the new drug in on her cells. You know, so we took drug discovery instead of being 10 years was nine months and drug development, which is often five years was three months basically round numbers, okay? Obviously, this is a relatively speedy process for drug discovery and development. But Lauren told us this kind of thing is not without precedent. During the AIDS epidemic in the early 1990s, laws were passed and the building blocks were put into place for a policy the FDA calls expanded access, sometimes called compassionate use. According to the FDA, expanded access is a potential pathway for a patient with an immediately life-threatening condition or serious disease to gain access to an investigational medical product. That can be a drug, biologic, or medical device, and under the right conditions, patients can get access outside of clinical trials when there aren't really any alternatives available. Mueller's story is extraordinary because it demonstrates that now, doctors can use designer DNA drugs for individualized therapies in situations like these. What we're going to be talking about here is really people with genetic diseases, like what they call monogenic diseases first, okay? When we know there's a specific gene that's causing a specific protein to be either over-manufactured or under-manufactured in the body. If we have a molecular diagnosis on the genome of the patient, which is becoming much, much more frequent, we're going to be able to consider whether or not this kind of genetic modulation they have is druggable. So I think FDA is prepared to see hundreds of these files starting up in the next several years. And that's the story of why doctors have high hopes for the future of tailored medicine. Again, our guest was Lauren Black, Distinguished Scientist in the Scientific Advisory Services at Charles River Labs. You can read all the details of Mila's story in a paper published in October in the New England Journal of Medicine, and we'll put a link to that and many other relevant sources in today's show notes. Today's episode is sponsored by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Everyone knows about the risks of driving drunk. You could get in a crash, people could get hurt or killed, but let's take a moment to look at some surprising statistics. Almost 29 people in the United States die every day in alcohol-impaired vehicle crashes. That's one person every 50 minutes. Even though drunk driving fatalities have fallen by a third in the last three decades, drunk driving crashes still claim more than 10,000 lives each year. Many people are unaware that driving while high can be just as dangerous. In 2015, 42% of drivers killed in crashes tested positive for drugs. Not so harmless after all, is it? And get this, from 2007 to 2015, marijuana use among drivers killed in crashes doubled. The truth is driving while high is deadly. So stop kidding yourself. 
If you're impaired from alcohol or drugs, don't get behind the wheel. If you feel different, you drive different. Drive high, get a DUI. Drive sober or get pulled over. Well, it's winter here in the Northern Hemisphere, and that means that flu season is upon us, and it seems like everybody's getting sick. But science says that you can trust your instincts. You really can tell if someone's sick just by looking at them. So for a 2018 study, researchers injected 16 Caucasian participants with either a placebo or something called a lipopolysaccharide. That's a molecule found in the outer membrane of bacteria that can trigger an immune reaction without actually causing infection. Basically, it could make the participants feel sick without actually making them sick. Those participants' photos were then shown to a much larger group of people, and that group was able to guess whether the people in the photos were sick or healthy a whopping 81% of the time. And despite how well they did with photos, the researchers believe this effect is probably stronger in person, since you'll be able to hear if a person sounds stuffy or complains about how sick they feel. So what does a sick face look like? According to the study, it includes pale skin and lips, droopy eyelids and corners of the mouth, a puffy face, red eyes, and the appearance of fatigue. The biggest giveaways were the pale skin and drooping eyes. So if you're trying to dodge a bug, those are the best signs to stay away from. The researchers say that in the future, they'd like to use this research to pinpoint early cold and flu warning signs so people can stay at home before they get too contagious. Well, I hope our enthusiasm for today's episode was contagious because I thought we learned about some pretty cool stuff. Definitely. I thought it was so awesome how researchers are actually able to develop custom medicine because of how easily we can sequence the genome now. Do you remember back with the Human Genome Project? It took forever and so much money to sequence one human genome. And now we can do it like nothing for maybe a thousand bucks. It's incredible. Yeah, it's still not like a walk in the drugstore buy a $20 kit kind of a thing, but certainly more accessible than it used to be. And maybe it will be in like 10 years. Who knows? Whoa. And I like the validation that if a coworker has unusually pale skin and drooping eyes, then it's perfectly appropriate to stay away from that person. And if you look in the mirror and you notice those things in your face, then please do everyone a favor. And if you can, stay home. Better safe than sorry. Today's story about sick faces was written by Ruben Westmus and edited by Ashley Hamer, who's the managing editor for Curiosity.com. Today's episode was scripted, produced, and edited by Cody Goff. Join us again tomorrow to learn something new in just a few minutes. And until then, stay curious. On the Westwood One Podcast Network.